So hi, everybody. Welcome to the Thrive Co-Living Community YouTube podcast. Always a mouthful. I'm going to just have it flow out naturally at some point, but not today. Glad to have you back. And today I have with me actually a friend uh, to talk about a subject that we've been wanting to talk about for a long time. Chris Isgrig is a therapist in private practice in Louisville, Kentucky and also has been passionate about the concept of permaculture for many years. So uh, he's here to share some insights. He's not an expert, um, and I'm sure he'll give the disclaimer too. Um, and, and we have very few experts here, just people that are passionate about different topics and uh, especially, I'm especially glad to have him to talk about this one because it's the basis, probably the root basis that I'd like us to be um, predicating the construction and, and development of Thrive on. Um, so really glad to have you, Chris. Thanks so much for, for being with us. Um, happy to be here. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I wanna follow up with the disclaimer that um, I'm not, uh, certified as a permaculture designer. I've never taken a course. Um, I've read lots of books and uh, listened to podcasts. And um, I've been a organic horticulturalist slash farmer uh, without much success financially, but uh, with lots of experience and uh, hopefully a little bit of wisdom about uh, garden design, things like that. And you have a permaculture group that you've organized and, and y'all meet regularly. We do. We meet once a month. It's, uh, it's pretty loose. Originally we were going to follow David Holmgren, uh, who is one of the co-founders of, of permaculture. He's got a book, um, called, Permaculture Principles and Pathways Beyond Sustainability. Um, and permaculture has 12 basic principles, at least if you go by Holmgren. Um, there are other permaculturalist writers, such like that have maybe fewer principles or maybe more principles, but 12 principles fits nicely with uh, 12 months. We were gonna do one principle per month and we've kind of done that, but we mostly just meet and swap seeds and plant starts and books and knowledge and just have fun together. We'll put that book in the show notes so that people can reference it. Do, do I gather that you have it right beside you? Could you hold I do. it up? I do. Yeah, I've got it. And I've got a couple other books as well. This is the home. Is this sort of the book. Bible of uh, permaculture? Mm no, I would, I don't, I don't have that book. Um, that's probably the one that Bill Mollison, who's, um, the other co-founder wrote, and I'm not sure. I, I mean, I haven't looked at it for a while. I'm not sure if Holmgren co-wrote it or not, but, um, it's basically a design manual for permaculture, like the first one. And so permaculture started roughly in the, in the seventies with Mollison and, and Holmgren. Give us a working definition, not a dictionary definition, but a, a, a working definition of permaculture according to your understanding. 
Yeah, it's good that it's not a dictionary definition because uh, a lot of people would argue with what the exact definition is, and and some would even say, and I and I kind of fit into this group that permaculture doesn't really hold up to any particular definition. Um, but in a nutshell, basically, it's a it's a design system. Look at looking at using systems theory um, to create. Um, functional and sustainable systems that support life, I would say. Uh, maybe one of the best ways to think about it is there's, besides the 12 principles, there are three, uh, besides the 12 design principles, there are, there are three basic ethical principles, which are earth care, people care, and fair share. Um, and so that kind of last you, one fair share. So um, in other words, there's a, maybe a little bit of an anti-capitalist tendency in it, which is not to, not to hoard wealth to distribute um, fairly amongst people as well as not to, um, I think implied in those principles of earth care people care and fair share is um, are the ideas of respect and reciprocity as opposed to extraction and accumulation. So I think, I think those principles really, for me, those are, those are important aspects of the definition of permaculture, what it, what it attempts to do. So it attempts to set up systems that honor those ethical principles. You can you can use the principles of the the design principles of permaculture to to create an extractive um, way of relating to the world, uh, you know, st to stay in that sort of um, mode of mastery and domination rather than working with. But I think I think permaculture points to more of a working with. Um, the environment that a human being finds themselves in. And let's talk about the connection to you and your values and how you came to um, embrace this and espouse this and really work to live this. So what, it, what does it connect with in you that appealed so much? Wow, that's a deep question. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I have a, a straight answer for you. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I'd have to go all the way back to my childhood and my grandfather, who always had a large garden and a greenhouse on the side of his house, and I always was fascinated with watching plants grow and. I remember one Christmas I got this this little kit and you you planted a peanut and it was clear and you could watch the peanut sprout and the roots grow and I remember just the excitement of watching that the you know the the two first uh, leaves pressing up through the soil and I've just been fascinated ever ever since and love plants so that's sort of the entryway into it and then. In college, I started reading Wendell Berry. Um, and for those who don't know who Wendell Berry is, 
he's a, a poet and a farmer and a novelist and a cultural culture cultural critic who lives just up the river from Louisville in Kentucky. And um, just reading his stuff uh, inspired me to <laughs> try to be a farmer myself. You know, I, I grew up in the city um, with, you know, garden in the backyard, but um, so yeah, I, I went to central Kentucky and uh, bought 38 acres and tried my hand at farming and, uh, and then actually had the, the luck and the and the uh, blessing, I'd say blessing to to get in contact with Wendell Berry, and he invited me to his farm, and so I went, and he gave me a little tour, and we sat at his kitchen and talked a little bit, and I realized on that visit that I didn't know what the heck I was doing, <laughs> that I had not I'd not grown up in farming, you know, or in agriculture the way he had, um, and that I was. I was in over my head. I can, I can grow lots of, lots of food, but um, all the other aspects like marketing and making a living and all that at farming is really difficult. So that brought me to, I mean, permaculture was a, was sort of a side interest that I thought I could, um, you know, that, that was inspirational, but I was always really busy with just, doing what I was doing. And then, then when it didn't work out financially, I kind of just really stepped back into doing some gardening. Um, and then when I moved back to the city, uh, I think honestly, it was listening to a podcast with David Holmgren being interviewed. And because uh, he came out with, here's the other, another book. He came out with another book uh, a couple of years ago, which is pretty thick. Um, called Retro Suburbia, which I think actually um, might be great for Thrive uh, as, as a perspective, because it's called, it's a, the subtitle is The Downshifter's Guide to a Resilient Future. Um, and I guess this is, this is kind of where it ties into my work as a therapist and understanding that relationship is, and broadly speaking, relationship is, is sort of the, uh, the fulcrum where I think we need to place our lever to get more, more action, if you will, on, on sustainability and change. Because I think we're, we're, I think we're presented today with, I mean, you can, you can look at the news and see all the multiple crises unfolding around the world and at home, uh, and I don't, I'm not going to go into the litany of those, but I think that they can be boiled down somewhat into a crisis of relationship. Um, and in my work as a therapist, that's, a, that's internal relationships with different parts of the human psyche. And it's also the uh, societal human to human relationship. And then also human to other than human relationship, which includes all the other beings we share the planet with and the planet herself. So that in those that maybe you can see where my interests sort of sort of cross the Venn diagram of of permaculture and psychotherapy and uh, just w well-being in general um, I feel like I'm <laughs> sort of traveling down multiple roads at once and and maybe not filling things out as I go maybe I'll stop no, for a second and let you no it's fine and 
I dug pretty deep pretty quickly. <laughs> so, um, uh, so um, let's talk about it in terms of place. And maybe, maybe we could even use Thrive, a Thrive community as an example um, of how mm -hmm. to incorporate permaculture um, into the creation um, and development of a, a particular location. Uh, because I understand it is location specific. So let's just say we found a piece of property and I'll, I'll describe the one that's our uh, ideal. Um, mm -hmm. It's a, a 60,000 square foot building. It's an office building that's not being used. It's on a huge lake um, in uh, Florida, Pinellas County, uh, St. Pete area of Florida. It's about uh, 15 minutes from the beach, but on this, this lake, and it's tucked away, it's near a major, uh, uh, not highway, but a major inner thoroughfare, but you can't really see it or hear it. So it feels very tucked away. It's south facing, almost perfectly south facing. It's, it's on an 11 acre campus that's been developed and has different nooks and and crannies already there, uh, mature trees. Um, and you cannot see any buildings. Uh, this is, I have no idea how big the lake is, but it's, it's huge. And you cannot see any buildings from the site um, facing south. If we build up, up and it's structurally uh, built to go up, then you can see the lake from three sides. So if once you get over the, the brush that's out on the lake. So I know that I'm just giving you a very general description, but let's talk about some of the considerations that we would use uh, permaculture principles to, um, to build it and to, so. Yeah, well, uh, um, so, it's it's true that that it's site specific, like, and that's the that's the the quality of relationship, right? We have we have a tendency uh, in the West, especially, to sort of impose our will upon the land, um, and so being in relationship with the land, and maybe this sounds a little woo woo to some folks, but but asking what the land wants. Um, to be, and, and maybe this isn't so, so woo-woo, but more like understanding how energy flows on the land and working with that may be another way of determining what the land wants um, or how, how it wants to emerge and evolve. So, I th yeah, I mean, I th you know, a lot of times with permaculture, what I what I really appreciate about this this last book, Retro Suburbia, from from Holmgren, is a lot of people with, think of permaculture as like this blank slate. Usually, it's a you know some acreage out in in a rural area, and um, and after my my experience doing that, I'm not sure I would recommend it uh, necessarily unless you've got a lot of capital in you know to to support that, um, but. It's so, so 
Holmgren's idea in retro suburbia is to use what's already there and to adapt to what's already there. So it's it's a less than ideal, right? In the in the true sense, it's not it's not idealistic. It's it's reality based with what you're working with and um, and being able to adjust what's there to become more congruent with permaculture ideals. Um, and so one of the one of the first principles, which I think is really important, especially when it comes to relationship, is uh, observe and interact. And so there's a lot of um, like if you listen to people that are deep into permaculture, they will tell you that once you come to a site to do nothing for the first year. I mean, which is frustrating, right? We're you know, especially if you're if you're an American, you're uh, or of European descent, perhaps you're you're probably a doer, right? Like you're ready to like tackle the project and like come up with a design and and make it happen. Um, and permaculture asks us to slow down and. To see, so the, the reason being is so we can watch, so we can get in touch with the patterns in nature um, at that particular site. And, you know, for instance, just to watch what, what the angle of the sun is like in the fall, in the winter, in the spring, in the summer, and, you know, what structures and maybe what trees or hills are present that uh, affects the amount of sunlight that a particular area on the property gets. So this kind of gets into two permaculture principles, not principles, but ways of seeing things, design, I guess they are principles or concepts, uh, zones and sectors. Um, so when, I'm, when we're talking about sunlight and south facing, uh, we're talking about sectors. Uh, another way to talk about a sector is uh, prevailing winds. Um, and uh, that thoroughfare that you mentioned with this particular site, where it is in relationship to the site, what you said it, that there's no noise, but just in, you know, it's something that you would look at, like how much noise there is. So for instance, I live on a, uh, on a one and a half acre lot on the outskirts of Louisville, right inside the, the outer freeway. And I'm, I'm on a busy road. And so one of the things I did when, after, after a year <laughs> was uh, to plant uh, fast growing white pines out close to the road so that they'll absorb some of the noise coming towards my house and, and backyard where most of my uh, gardens and fruit trees and things like that are. Um, so I guess there's other things I could say about sectors. Um, uh, maybe, maybe microclimates is another way to speak about things as far as sectors go, because if you have a hill that on, on one side of the hill is, if south is that way, then on this side of the hill, it's going to be very warm. Um, and on this side of the hill, it's going to be shaded. So I've got raised beds in my garden that face east to west. And this winter when we had some snow, it was, it was a perfect illustration of a microclimate because on one half of the, of the bed, 
the snow melted. And on the other half, there was still snow. Um, and as you can guess, on the half that melted, it was south facing, right? So, um, so what that does for me is I know that I can situate elements of the design, whether it's, um, you know, a garden bed or um, cold frame or something like that. I know I'm going to get more energy there uh, throughout the year, you know, so I can plant things on that side of the bed early in the, in the spring. And then I can use the other side of the bed maybe to put uh, something like lettuce in the summertime where it's a little bit cooler. And, you know, we're only talking about two feet difference. It's like two feet from here to here and you have a climate that might be five to eight degrees difference, you know, um, and not get as much direct sunlight. I think from, from what I read and have watched on videos, I think there also is a discussion and maybe it's sectors um, of the distance from the, the main dwelling that I think something, if not sectors, goes outward from that main dwelling. Is yeah, that... that's, that's zones. Okay. Which is actually, you know, if, we, if, I was, if I was a little bit more structured in my, in my talk here, I probably would have put zones first um, because zones are a way of, I mean, I, I think sectors are as well, but, but zones are a way of relating to what's outside your dwelling. So typically permaculture divides zones from, from one to five. Some people include zero which I, I kind of like because it can either be the inside of the house, the house itself, the inside of the house, or it can actually be the human and the human psyche and what's, what's going on inside the human psyche and how it relates to what's going on in the other zones. But typically, so something like, uh, like zone one would be uh, right outside your back door, for instance. Um, and so like right outside my back door, I've got one garden plot, that has stuff that, you know, I usually grow things there that I can just go right outside while I'm cooking and, and just grab some herbs, um, you know, lettuce. or lettuce, yeah, greens in the, in, the, um, in the spring, that kind of stuff. And then um, maybe zone two would be where you might put your chicken coop, for instance. Um, because you're going to go there frequently. You're like, and so I've got chickens here, um, but I adapted to what was already here on the land. And uh, the chicken coop is in a shed that was already here that I um, remodeled for the chickens. Uh, and it's probably in zone three. It's a little bit of a walk to get there. Um, so ideally, it would be closer. But so zone two is, is like a, a chicken coop, um, other garden beds that might have longer term crops in them like potatoes or corn or squash, that kind of stuff. Your summer, summer type of, or, or onions. Like so, you know, onions and garlic and leeks and shallots. I've got a lot of that stuff out there too because it goes in in the fall and it just, it stays in from October until July. Um, so it doesn't need much attention. And then you'll have, so zone three would be maybe if you have a, a commercial crop 
you know, so like, like again, maybe corn that you're growing for sale or um, maybe your fruit trees are out there. And so three, three, zones three and four, you're getting further and further away from the, from the dwelling. Um, so it needs less and less attention. Uh, and then zone five would be pretty much from the edge of zone four on outwards. I mean, most people will include it within the property you're on. It tends to be more of a wild space. So if you're on a farm, it might be your woodlot where you go collect mushrooms in the spring. You might get firewood from it. You might get some nuts from, you know, walnut trees that are in the woods, things like that. Lumber. Um, I like to think of zone five as just being maybe, you know, maybe you can, you know, just make zone six or something. You can number it however you want. Um, it's just a way of thinking about and relating to where you are and what's around you. But so zone six might be the greater world. Like maybe you go down the road to a lake and go fishing down there. But so in your case, in this, in this hypothetical situation, the lake is, is an important feature to consider um, because you can, I mean, you've got water, number one, and without water, there's no life. Uh, so in a, in a, I haven't really talked about this, but retro suburbia is the downshifter's guide to a resilient future. The idea is that we are in a situation of energy descent, um, meaning basically fossil fuels and that, you know, there's controversy around renewables and I won't get into that. Um, you and I have had our own discussions, Mark, but we'll, <laughs> we'll just keep that. We'll just table that um, for now. And maybe and, another podcast. We'll duke it out over renewable yeah, energy. Yeah. We'll have to. Yeah. But I, th I think that it's wise to consider the possibility that we might not have the energy availability, at least in the, in the dense forms that fossil fuels come in uh, to be able to fuel things for us. And that, might mean that we have to figure out systems for um, our water that are even more local than a city water system. So like, like, a, like somewhere, like a, you said 60 story office building, is that? No, 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 it's 60,000 square oh, feet. Oh, that's right, yeah. It's one story. One and you story. Know what? You know what, um, maybe uh, for a little bit, let's look at this site I'll I'll bring it up, and um, yeah. and then we can even be a little more uh, specific about it. Although I also want to want to stay on the esoteric side of this topic because I think it is, you know. And and let me let me uh, let me assert this for a second. So I was I've spent time living in the country, um, growing my own food, and was very much drawn to this concept without knowing the term. The term. Yeah. Um, and our architect, That's a um, great point. Tom Semlick, uh, brought it to my attention. And it is so overarching and encompassing. And, uh, and it's not just about external. It's about the connection to the people um, mm. that... I, I would like at some point for us to have as a subtitle of Thrive, a permaculture community, because I think it does incorporate everything about the environment, the location, 
the people inside. You know, it, it's so all-encompassing. So I, I really see this as a, um, and, and it's so wonderful to be, to have a, uh, an attachment to a concept and not even know that it's a concept. You know what I mean? So yeah. it was perfectly dovetailed. Um, so I don't want to get, I don't want to sep. I don't want to make this just about site location and site design. It's so much more than that, but I think it might be helpful and instructive to use this particular site, you know, to talk about different aspects of it, um, plants, animals, the people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's, I think it's probably, um, useful in, in some sense, but I would just put a little, you know, another disclaimer underneath it because it's, it's, a uh, you know, it's hypothetical and, and it would, it would require us to be there and observe for a year, right? You know, it's um, to get into relationship with it. So like, it's very, this is, this, this is gonna be a very sort of cursory way of looking at, at things, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, maybe it's, it's, I think it's a good way to illustrate the principles of perm permaculture. Okay, so let me bring it up and I'll bring it up in context and then zoom down to it. So okay. this is Pinellas County, Florida. It's actually one of the densest, pop, densely populated counties in the state of Florida. Um, and St. Petersburg is right here. Mm -hmm. And here is this, here is Lake Seminole. So it's okay. feeding into uh, not Tampa Bay, but, but this bay. So I'll mm -hmm. zoom in. And you see, it's a, it's a huge lake and thrive if we, and you know, we don't, we don't have a contract on this place. It's just the, what has been closest to ideal. Um, so here, here's the building and you mm -hmm. see there's a high school here and from this, so here's that major highway, Brian Derry Road, and there's a bridge going here, which you can see. Mm -hmm. So here's the building and it's just, it's tucked away. There's so much um, growth here that you, you hear a little bit of road noise here, but nothing there. Um, there's a sort of wetlands area, sort of a creek area. And I think it might even go, go out some, you might have access to the, to the lake. Um, Wetlands you know, here. As, as, as we're looking at it, Mark, one of the things that you might want to think about, or people that are watching might want to think about, is energy flows. That's that's a, that's sort of a uh, more condensed way of thinking about sectors and zones, like how much energy it takes to move yourself from one place to another. What you know, where the where the, the so enter, um, what the slopes are like. What, you know, if you're looking at that, that parking lot, that's going to absorb a lot of energy from the sun, right? So, you know, you know, most of the time we think of that as a problem, you know, like a heat island in a city, right? But, you know, the question in my mind is how do you turn that, you're going you're gonna to absorb all that energy from the sun in that asphalt. How do you use that to your benefit, right? 
what do you do with the the, the runoff from the, the parking lot? Is it going to be used for cars? If it is, then there's going to be petroleum products in the runoff. How do you keep that out of the lake? Um, or do you tear up the parking lot and turn it into, into you know, gardens? Um, these, are, these are all the kinds of things that you want to think about. Um, and, the, you know, like the way the water flows off of the uh, parking lot, that's an energy flow. How can you sort of tap into that energy flow? It might be, it might seem like, I mean, this is, this is something I think is important about permaculture is a lot of, uh, well, there's a principle um, that is titled obtain a yield. And what that means is tap into the energy flows and have them work in ways that are beneficial to the whole system and that you get a yield from it. Now, you're not going to power anything necessarily with the flow of water off of a parking lot, but it, it, um, it's important to think about those flows, like how that energy can be used to support other uh, aspects of what you're trying to achieve. Well, for example, we want to do uh, permaculture, I mean, um, uh, aquaponics and or hydroponics. And there's some shaded area right here and right here. Um, so that would be a good place to do it and, and bring store some of this water or catch some of the water. Maybe it's, you know, and Florida's pretty flat, so there's not much much right. slope anywhere. But anyway, we can we can use it for other our other activities, that water and taking advantage of shade, um, like up in here. Yeah. I mean that's one of the things to consider too is Florida's, you know, if we're gonna be speaking about this particular site, Florida's climate is is very warm and tends to be humid, right? Um, and gets I mean, you know, I'd be curious what the average rainfall is here in the Tampa area. Um, you know, the other question, though, is like you've got all that water right there in the lake. Um, you know, so, so this is another important aspect, which is um, the things that affect the site are not just uh, natural and physical, they are also human and abstract, like laws and city ordinances and property rights and boundaries and things like that. Um, those are always things that you're gonna have to consider because if you, if you didn't have those things, I would say, you know, you, you just gotta manage the water flowing off of the property into the lake in a way that doesn't create erosion and that you can just use the lake for your for your water needs. But if you don't have access to the lake because of city ordinance, et cetera, then you've got to um, go with rainfall. Yeah, I doubt it. I think it's the Army Corps of Engineers and yeah. maybe some others that, because this lake is so big, that manage it. Uh, and I think um, there there's some other considerations. I believe it was built uh, originally before there were floodplain uh, requirements. And I think if you do a certain amount of improvements to it, um, 
I don't know. It 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 affects the site that yeah. that it's on. I think some of those requirements were waived, given when this was built. Anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, those are all important elements to consider as you're thinking about what kind of design you're going to do. And and I think I, I just want to say right right here that I, I, maybe this is one of the most important things because it has to do with how you relate to the to the site. And the land around it and other beings that are there is that it's permaculture is an emergent process it's not you don't i mean this is one of the dangers of it is that a lot of people will come up with a design and they just do the typical thing that we do which is impose it upon the land they think oh, i mean i've waited a year and i've come up with my design i'm just gonna do it and um to a certain extent that's what we do but it's it's an unfolding process so you get feedback from uh, from what you're what you're trying to create, some things work, some don't. You you see what kind of yield that you're able to obtain. You see how different elements in the landscape and the and the built environment relate to one another, and you continually adjust. So it's I think that's a really important. There's there's no model here. These are these are frameworks, um, and. I'd, I'd point to Carol Sanford's work. We can put, you can put her in the show notes too. I've got some podcasts and some books, both for her work and for um, permaculture. Um, why don't we talk a little bit about ground zero for a second? Uh, sure. Because everything about this concept, the, the, the root problem we're trying to solve is this epidemic of loneliness that precedes um, COVID. So we were, uh, our institutions like the church and civic groups, participation in those has been dropping significantly. Um, so it's all about building community with these principles of taking care of the land, <clears throat> taking care of each other, um, the general vision is to have condos, loft condos, similar to what I'm, what I'm in here, uh, which is, <laughs> which is an illusion, this is the image, um, but uh, loft condos around the perimeter so that people can have access to their dwelling externally, but then all of, the, all of them connecting to a central core that would have, and uh, depending on the size of it, this, this we think could hold with the one level, uh, maybe 50 units at most, but um, depending on the size, have community kitchens in the corners um, and in the interior, fitness facilities, co-working and co-learning facilities, um, entertainment, an entertainment venue um, that can be expanded or contracted based, you know, so we'll have a coffee shop setting for a poetry reading and a big lecture with, you know, a couple hundred people. So to be able to expand that space. So a lot of flexibility on the in, internal spaces. And some actually, you can gut this whole building and of the interior spaces and handle it any way you want. Um, 
So, you know, how people can interact with each other, um, maximizing those opportunities, um, having spaces nearby um, to congregate and smaller spaces. So it's all about building community and facilitating community at ground zero. So maybe talk about um, some permacultural principles around inter the people interacting with each other. Yeah. Um, this is a this is a slippery slope, isn't it? Because there's there's like we, people people have tried all kinds of variations on on this. I mean, I I love the concept. I, I mean, it's like assuming that it all is working smoothly. You know, I could I could see myself living there, especially when I'm a bit older, I guess. But. Um, Yeah, I don't even know where to start necessarily. I, I'm not sure that there are permaculture concepts or or, or principles that that address this. Um, yeah. I mean, you can you can apply permaculture principles to almost anything, which is what fascinates me. Um, you know, one one of the uh, one of the one of the principles is accept or no apply self regulation and accept feedback. So I think you know. Maybe that might work in, in when you're thinking about building community. Um, integrate rather than segregate. Use and value diversity. Uh, create, creatively use and respond to change. Um, you know, and again, I recommend this Holmgren book to dive down into all those principles if people are interested. Um, and he, you can, there's, a, there's a website as well that has a, a briefer description of them. And of course, it's free, so you can just go and check it out. I don't, I don't know it off the top of my head, but I'll give it to you for the show notes. Um, I, I would point people to a website. Uh, I think it's microsolidarity.org, maybe, um, which is about emergent community. So it's, it's about creating ways of being together that um, enhance safety while also enhancing or promoting vulnerability and connection. Um, and he, uh, I, can't, I can't remember the fellow's name, but he thinks about people in terms of, of like we've only got, um, really we only have two ways of thinking about people. We've got individuals, couples, then we go to groups and groups can be anywhere from three to three million. We don't have any other words in common parlance anyway that designate other layers. And he, he uses, he goes from, from, you know, individual to couples or dyads, doesn't have to be like a partnered couple necessarily. Um, to the next level up is crews or pods. And those are from three to eight people, ideally. And then the next step up from there is uh, a congregation, kind of like you would have at a, a, a church or a mosque or synagogue, and uh, or sangha. <laughs> and uh, that's that's basically you know goes from like twenty to up to about one hundred and fifty or two hundred people. 
Um, and then above that, it's, it's you know, I guess you, you've got to split off into another congregation because it becomes too unwieldy. But the idea is that the crews are people that have a particular interest. And so you might even look at your life now and realize that you're already in a couple of crews. So I've got two colleagues that I meet with every couple of weeks. We're all therapists. We talk about therapist type of stuff. We also talk about other things, but like that's kind of my therapist crew. And then uh, I've got a, a group of, there's four of us. We're all men. We talk about uh, various things, but we meet every week on Friday mornings and it's kind of like the men's group, men's issues, that sort of thing. Um, You know, and there's probably if you if you I you know there's and then, and then like the permaculture group that I do every every month that's a that's also another crew, and so it can be around anything. It can be built around a project, built around uh, activism, built around uh, some kind of particular form of profession or work, um, or even you know something related to like Lions Club or Rotary Club things like that. I mean, it could it. It can be anything ultimately. And you can be in multiple crews and you can have people in one crew who are also together in another crew. And then at the congregation level, which might be the level of this whole particular building, for instance, um, you have you have people that are um, more active in creating the relationships amongst the crews. So you might have community events that happen um, maybe quarterly or biannually, at least at least twice a year, if not more often, where people can, um, there's, there's a great, uh, if you go to the website, there's a great article on this, on, on what a congregation event looks like. So you have people that have particular interests and maybe you have three slots at a time and each, of the slots is a person a person fills that slot and they're like hey i want to talk about permaculture or, hey i want to talk about um you know organic food or hey i want to talk about psychological health or you know any it can be anything right and what gets the most traction is like there's a hundred people there Maybe maybe you maybe you're talking about one 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 thing, and you've got 75 people. Another person's talking about another thing. They've got 20. And another person has five. Okay, we see where the energy is, right? Um, but the, one of the ways that then you have like breakouts after that, and you have the formation of new crews because you're seeding new um, information, new concepts, new uh, interests and passions, meaning and purpose, and and it's it's a you. You deepen into relationship as you do that. There are other processes about, you know, nonviolent communication. I mean, I could, I could just keep throwing stuff out forever on this, on this kind of stuff. But it's, if you go to the website, microsolidarity, it might be .net. I don't know if it's .net or .org, but it's pretty easy to find. We'll put it in the show notes, I guess. <laughs> but it's got lots of, it's got lots of ideas for how to effectively create community starting small and, and from scratch and not in other words it's 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 related to permaculture in that you're not taking an idea and a model and imposing it on something you're creating some structure 
with some frameworks, I guess that's the same thing, um, that guide the process of emergence. And so the, the community becomes emergent in the same way that the systems that support the community in relationship to the world around it are also emergent because ain't nothing static in this world. So do you have at your fingertips at one of the, in one of those books, the 12 uh, principles? Was it principles? Uh, can you, yeah. can you read off those? Yeah. Uh, observe and interact, catch and store energy, obtain a yield, apply self-regulation and accept feedback, use and value renewable resources and services, produce no waste. I, I particularly like that one because it, it's, and I can give you an illustration here in just a second. Design from patterns to details. Integrate rather than segregate. Use small and slow solutions. Use and value diversity. Use edges and value the marginal. Creatively use and respond to change. So we can illustrate two of those principles, uh, produce no waste and um, let's see, integrate rather than segregate. So I've got chickens. It's pretty simple to watch this unfold. So chickens do two, do three things. Well, they do more than that, but three basic things. They lay eggs, they eat, and they poop. So the, the eggs are sort of the yield that I obtain from my chickens. And um, their poop is also a yield. So it's, a lot of people would see it as waste. I mean, manure is oftentimes a waste product. I mean, one of the saddest things we do is <laughs> flush our own poop away to be, use clean water that we've used energy to, to flush our own uh, feces and urine away, which are full of nitrogen and other you know, carbon that we can use if we are good about the way we use it. Um, but anyway, so I, the chicken poop can be put on the garden, right, as fertilizer. Um, and then you, you're, one of the ways I like to see permaculture is, is closing up cycles. So you have closed cycles. So the chickens eat stuff out of the garden. They also eat stuff out of the yard, they eat bugs. Um, like my salad scraps, when I like take a head of lettuce out of the garden, I'll have um, some of the pieces of lettuce maybe have holes in them from insects or are wilted a little bit. Um, those go to the chickens. Instead of going to the compost pile, they can go right to the chickens and the chickens compost them right into manure. And then I can put them back in the garden, which feeds the soil, feeds all the microbiota in the, in the soil and grows healthy plants. So I do buy chicken feed, That's, that comes from outside the loop. But the more that we work towards closing loops, the better we are. And we don't, we don't have waste that way. Everything becomes an element in the cycle and just, become, just keeps going around the cycle. And then you have um, integrate rather than segregate. Another way to think about that is stacking functions. Um, so the chickens, again, they, they do more than, than 
just produce eggs. They also produce feathers, which are compostable as well. And for those of us that eat meat, you can eat them. I don't eat my chickens or pets, but in a pinch, I would eat them. <laughs> I like aquaponics for mm -hmm. the same reason. Um, and you can introduce chickens to feed the fish um, because the, uh, you can have, uh, it's not nesting boxes, but perches above mm -hmm. the, the um, fish tanks and they'll, the fish will eat the poop directly and then it's going right back into the plants. So. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it's, it's like the more, the more sort of stops along the, the, the cycle you have, the better off you are. You know, so you're not, so you feed the chickens and then the chickens feed the fish with their poop. I mean, that's pretty, I mean, it's kind of gross, right? But it's also really awesome um, because you, you, that, that, then the, you know, then the fish poop becomes fertilizer for plants as well, right? That water is pretty, pretty rich in nitrogen and other stuff. And um, yeah. What a, what a great what a great illustration of a closed loop mm -hmm. and then you get you get yield of of fish for meat chickens for meat um, chickens for eggs uh, fertilizer for plants um, and plants to eat plants to eat yeah I'm sure there's more actually in there that I can't that we're not thinking of yeah. Um, before, I know we're probably getting close to time. Yeah, so yeah. help us. Are there some things that you that have been fleeting thoughts that you kept in mind that you'd like to share at this point? Um, yeah, just a couple. I mean, I've, I just want to share a couple of books um, that I've got that I'd recommend uh, besides the ones that I've shown already. One's uh, by Ross Mars, The Basics of Permaculture Design. So it's, you know, it's it's pretty thin and accessible. It's a, it's a nice primer just to like get the basics. Like if you, if you just want to buy this book, it'd probably be enough. And if you, if you get, you know, really excited about it, then the other books can kind of flow out of that. This one, this one's awesome. Uh, the Resilient Farm and Homestead by Ben Falk. It's mainly for a countryside kind of permaculture, like a farm level permaculture, rural, um, which doesn't really apply to me, but there's some, it might apply to some people listening and it, um, it has some, you know, illustrates the ideas pretty well. And then this fellow, Toby Hemingway, he's got two books. Uh, the first is Gaia's Garden, a guide to home scale permaculture. So that's for, you know, people that live in suburbia like myself. Um, it kind of is a good companion along with David Holmgren's retro suburbia. And, and I would say about retro suburbia, it, it has three um, sections. One is the biological environment, one is the built environment, and one is the psychological environment, which I find really appealing because our, our psychology and our way of thinking about things, like if you wanna dive into permaculture, you need to change the way you think. Um, and then the last book is The Permaculture City, which maybe applies more to uh, what Thrive is attempting to do. It's uh, the, the subtitle is Regenerative Design for Urban, Suburban, and Town Resilience. 
Uh, and to be honest, I've only read about an eighth of the way into this one, so I can't say much more about it. <laughs> I've got another one I'd like to add, um, and it was very incredibly in influential to me to move out into the country and start exploring some of these. And that was Wendell Berry's book, The Unsettling of America. Um, it, to me, that, <clears throat> that kicked off this um, uh, return to the land, um, being a homesteader, uh, husbandry, um, and just a, a very holistic look. Uh, and I think it's a series of essays um, and uh, really wonderful. And it, it combines the political also with the uh, environmental and spiritual. Yeah, as well as, well as social and, uh, you know, cultural. It's, it's uh, and historical. He, like, goes through the history of uh, the so-called Green Revolution in agriculture, which is post-World War II. Uh, the Green Revolution being using synthetic fertilizers and fossil fuels to boost our produ productivity in agriculture, which is it's become problematic. And that's, it's basically a critique of that that book is yeah it's fat it's it's wonderful that was one of my entries into um all of this as well as reading that book i would also like to plug a a podcast uh it's run by a new zealand a fellow from new zealand uh named dan palmer it's called making permaculture stronger it is it's fantastic like if you want to i mean he's really excited about it uh he's very engaging he's got a website with a blog that goes along with it. Um, so I, I would definitely recommend that as a, as a podcast. There's, there's other permaculture podcasts out there. To be honest, I haven't found any that have um, been as useful as that one. And let's, uh, let's not leave people without giving them an opportunity to contact you. And I'm speaking specifically about your, your therapy practice. Um, I think a lot of people would value having a therapist who shares these values, especially if they're, if they're a, a big part of that individual. Um, and, and it does, it is part of a, a holistic whole. So um, how, how best can people reach you um, and uh, in any way you want to communicate that? And we'll also put that in the show notes. Um, yeah, they can just reach me at my email address, which is kind of long. It's deeply rooted counseling at gmail.com. Deeply rooted counseling at gmail.com. Yeah. Right. So I do. I, um, first of all, if, if somebody wants to contact me um, as a potential client, they have to be within the state of Kentucky because that's the only state that I'm licensed in. Um, I'm happy to talk to other people um, uh about permaculture or psychotherapy or maybe the relationship between the two. And also uh, I just want to put a little plug in there that I'm working, my practice is somewhat changing towards uh, using the concepts in micro solidarity to build community uh, here in Louisville specifically. Um, so uh, it's probably going to look something like group therapy, only it's going to be crews like setting up crews and what that might, I don't know how that's going to look, um, but I'm excited to see what's going to come out of it. So they could contact you if they have interest in that as well. Sure. Yeah. Good. 
All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, this has been very rich and um, and definitely applicable to what we're we're doing. So I truly appreciate it and your sharing. And it's been a great mix of the practical with the spiritual and philosophical. And um, so I I really appreciate that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I, to be honest, I was nervous to do it. It went by really fast. I feel like there's I didn't know what we were going to talk about exactly, uh, but man, there's there's so much to cover. You know, it'll be interesting to 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 listen to this after uh, after being participating in it to see um, because it it felt like we were all over the place and there's I mean there's so much to say and hopefully it gave people uh, an idea of what it's about and and piqued some interest and people can go do their own exploring and um, yeah. Great. That's just what I hope we'd accomplish. And I, I think we did. Wonderful. So, thanks so much. And um, we'll see everybody back in two weeks. Uh, please uh, go to thrivecolivingcommunities.org for more information about our community that we're building. And um, uh, you probably found us on YouTube uh, with this broadcast, but we're on all the major podcast stations, Apple, Google, uh, and the hundreds of others that are out there. And we'll have those in the show notes. There are lots of ways that you can contribute to the podcast and to our efforts. And those are also in the show notes too. So thanks so much, Chris. And thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks for joining us for another great episode of the Thrive Co-Living Communities YouTube podcast. To learn more about our mission and how you can support our vision of creating co-living communities worldwide, please visit us at thrivecolivingcommunities.org. To receive advanced viewings of our podcast and other exclusive content, find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash thrivecolivingcommunities. You can also learn more ways to support our mission in the show notes below. Amazon Smile, GoFundMe, Kroger, and our own Thrive Gear store, where you can buy t-shirts, hats, and many other items. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll look forward to seeing you again soon.